Since uh, 2014, Radius Church, every November and December, we get together and, and say, hey, we want to find strategic partners here in our community, and we want to give them funds so that they can meet needs that they, they know. And so some of those are everything from helping a teacher get situated or uh, helping a family get reestablished after a fire or buying glasses for a kid who can't afford it, and the list goes on. And so we're really appreciative of our partners like Jacob Smith there at River Bluff and others who are able to, to uh, find those needs and meet them in the acute situation that they're in. If you want to know more about Give Hope, you got one of these on the seats there. Feel free to take a look at it. Also on the back on those black boxes back there is a Give Hope envelope. If you'd like to give and help us love our radius well, you can do that. Put your gift in here and drop it in the black box, or you can go online and there's a drop down that says Give Hope. If you've got your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, we are making our way through the uh, book of Ephesians as we are in this We Are series. And uh, today we want to talk about how we are affected by where we are. Where we are affects who we are. And I think that's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is about, this idea of a change in location, a change in geography. I think we would all agree that place has a special part for us. Uh, many of us might think about the places that we go. Many of you may have traveled over the holidays. Uh, I didn't get a chance to go back to Texas. That's where I'm from. Uh, but there's something about waking up in my mom and dad's house in the morning and my mom's frying up some bacon and eggs. Like there's just something about that, right? All of us have some kind of nostalgic memory. My dad walking me out to the shop and showing me his latest project. There's just something about that kind of stuff. We, we love that, those kind of places that remind us of, of great memories and, and even just affect us in positive ways. Places can impact us in negative ways as, as well, which we're going to see from, from the text. My wife and I had just gotten married we were 20 and 21 years old, moved to Dallas, Texas. I was going to go to school at Dallas Theological Seminary. I had just wrapped up an undergraduate degree in the Bible at a place that was less than faithful to the text. I spent a lot of my time having to argue about what the Bible said and who Jesus was and just some basic things that I thought at a Bible college you wouldn't have to deal with. And so for me, when I was working on a master's degree, I thought, you know what? I want to go to a place where I don't have to worry about that. And so I thought of Chuck Swindoll and Tony Evans and Tommy Nelson, these great pillars of the faith. They were at Dallas Theological Seminary. And I thought, that's where I'm going to go. And my wife and I get back from our honeymoon. We tra traverse into downtown Dallas and go to the campus. And I set foot on it for the first time as a student. And I go to the bookstore and I begin to buy books for the, the classes I'll be taking. And I remember getting to the bookstore and looking at these books and becoming overwhelmed with emotion because I was going to read books that were going to be affirming of the faith and not questioning it. I just remember just like, I'm home. I'm home. And I just, my wife's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm really okay. This is great. And for the next three years as I spent our time there, I could not have been more encouraged just to be home. Have you ever been home before? 
Maybe it's a church, you walked in and you're like, I'm home. Maybe it's a, a place, you got a new job and you're like, wow, I'm settled in. This is home. We have those places, right? Where they just, they communicate, I belong here. There's something good here. I'm home. And I, I really believe that where we are affects who we are, positively or negatively. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's going to talk about that. But Jesus talks about it as well. And so before I read Ephesians chapter 2, I thought I'd just remind you what Jesus says about this idea of location affecting us. Uh, you'll remember Luke 15. You don't have to turn there. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is going to tell a couple of stories. Matter of fact, he's going to tell three stories, three parables. He's got a bunch of people around him. In Luke chapter 1, the author tells us that the people that are around Jesus are sinners and tax collectors. Sinners and tax collectors. Makes it real clear. Now, when we hear sinners and tax collectors, it's not like the way we talk about it. Hey, all of us are sinners. No, no, no. So for the Jew, if you were called a sinner and a tax collector, you're actually called somebody who has forfeited your relationship with God because you are willfully sinning. You are willfully disobedient to the law, to the Ten Commandments, to the Torah. You are willfully shaking your fist in the face of God. And for them, they're on the outside looking in. And they're coming to Jesus thinking, maybe there's hope. Because for them, their location is clearly outside of it. And then there's another group of people that show up when Jesus tells these three stories. And they're the Pharisees. You know, they're guys like me, they're, 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 they're people that think they, they know a little bit about the Bible and they're preachers, and they show up, and this is what they say. They, they ask this question. They say, you know what? Jesus actually welcomes sinners and tax collectors. He welcomes them. He doesn't say, stay over there. He welcomes them here. He's saying, I want you to change your location. And then they make this accusation. They say this. Jesus actually eats with them. He doesn't just welcome them. He gets across the table from these unclean, disobedient people who are in willful rebellion against God. He actually shares the meal with them. They say that and Jesus starts telling stories. First story. He says, hey, there's a guy who's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. One of them is lost. Then he asks this question. He says, if you were the shepherd, wouldn't you leave the 99 and go get the one sheep? And when that shepherd searches high and low and goes way out of the way to find this lost sheep, he throws it over his shoulders and comes marching back into town. And while he's on his way into town, he says this, y'all rejoice with me. I, I have found my lost sheep. Now, do y'all see the location words here? Lost, found, near, far and near, right? And then he says this, that famous verse, he says, how much more does heaven rejoice when one sinner repents than 99 who don't need to repent? See, all those sinners and tax collectors, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He might be talking to us. There's hope. Before the Pharisees can say a word, before they can rattle off a question, before they can make another accusation, Jesus tells another parable. He says, uh, there's a woman 
She's got 10 silver coins. And she loses one of those silver coins. And she tears her house apart, sweeps the house looking for that one coin. And when she finds it, she tells all her friends, rejoice with me, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. You got it? Lost, found. Location has changed. A celebration is happening. And then that famous phrase in the Bible that says, even the angels rejoice when one sinner repents and comes home. Before the Pharisees could say another word or the sinners could get even a step closer, Jesus tells a third parable. It's probably the one you know the best out of the three. He says there's a guy who's got two sons. And the younger son comes to the dad and says, you know what, I love you, dad, but I love your stuff more than I love you. And basically, I, I wish you were dead so that I could have my inheritance early and I can go out and live the life that I want to live when I want to live it. And so, because there's two of them, the inheritance would be divided between the two sons. The older son would probably get two-thirds, and the younger son would get a third. And what's more shocking than the demand, the arrogance of this younger son, is the fact that the dad actually gives it to him. Dad says, it's yours. Take off. Gives him a third of the estate. Younger son goes off to a far country, the Bible says. Far country leaves Jerusalem, leaves the law, leaves the temple, leaves all that he would know, leaves all accountability, and it says he squanders it on foolish living. Now, we could go into all kinds of colorful stories, but I want to focus on the idea of foolish and squandering. That means he's going to have nothing left. And the reason it's foolish is not because he's buying big houses. You see, if you buy a big house, at least you could sell it and get some money. He has made no investment whatsoever. You're talking about the kind of squandering when a guy walks into a bar with a load of cash and says, this round's on me. It makes for a great memory and you're the life of the party. But once that last shot is swallowed, the money's gone. Or when he says, hey, everybody, come to my place for a big extravagant party. But once the DJ unplugs his speakers, that cash is gone. It's gone. You can imagine what all he squandered this on. What makes matters worse is not only does he spend all of his money, but Jesus says a famine hit. Well, this is just part of life, isn't it? A famine hits, and that's the reason we don't squander our money is so that we have a little bit so that we can take care of ourselves during a famine. That would make sense. But he's got no money. He's got to find a job. He's in a foreign country. He finds a guy raising pigs. If you're Jewish, pig raising is not something you're used to. And you're sure not going to get in a pig pen and feed him. But that's what he's got to do to make ends meet. He gets in that pig pen and he realizes he's, he eats worse than the pigs do. And then the Bible says, Jesus says this, the guy came to his senses. Now remember, I told you. Where you are affects who you are. Have you ever seen anybody hit rock bottom? And when you hit rock, hit rock bottom, how does it affect you? It's amazing what that'll do, won't it? You hit rock bottom and all of the sudden, options you didn't think you had, you now have. 
Because where you are affects who you are. And so he sits back and says, you know what? I came to my senses and, and um, I'm dying of hunger here, but I'm going to go back home. And I'm not going to go back home and beg my dad to take me back as his son. I'm just going to say, hey, can I be a hired hand? Can I just work for you? Because your servants eat better than I do. They live better than I do. Will you just take me in as a, as a hired hand? He musters up the courage and he goes back home. The, the text says, Jesus says this, that his father saw him from a long way off. Now, what you would expect Jesus to say next is, is the dad went inside, locked the door and turned the lights off, right? Or maybe you might think it says something like the dad sat on a rocking chair, crossed his arms and said, boy, this is going to be good. But it doesn't say that. It says that the father saw him from a long way off and ran out to meet him. And the, the son begins his spiel. Oh, dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Just make me a hired hand. And the dad doesn't even let him finish his predetermined speech. And he, he says, go get a robe. Go get a ring. Go get some sandals and put it on this kid. And kill the fattened calf. And I'm sure people were looking at him a little strange because they're like, this is the guy that wished you dead and took a third of our estate and squandered it. And you're going to throw a party for him. And this is what he says, just to let everybody know something's changed. This is my son who was dead and is now alive. This is the reason I'm throwing a party. Because my son was dead. And he's alive. He's lost and now he's found. His geography has changed. We're going to throw a party. And can you imagine? This is Russell's translation here, yeah? Can you imagine being that kid, having been hugged and kissed by your father? You smell, you stink, you have nothing to offer. You're walked into a room, put at the head of the table, put a sizzling ribeye in front of you, the DJ starts playing the cha-cha slide, right? <laughs> They're passing the drinks around. What are you doing in that moment? What are you doing in that moment? You know what I'm doing? I'm probably not wanting to make eye contact with a soul. I'm probably not reminiscing about what I've done the last couple of years. I'm probably pretty embarrassed aren't you? Can you imagine how much his location has changed from a pig pen to a party? Then there's another brother. He's working in the field. He doesn't know what's transpired. He shows up and he hears coming from the house, to the left, to the left, to the left. He smells that ribeye. He's like, what's going on? They come out and tell him, hey, you know, your, your younger brother that squandered a third of our inheritance, he's in there eating that fatted calf we've been fixing for a real special occasion. You know, the older brother's location never changes. He stays outside. The dad has to come to him too. Dad has to come out there and say, hey, man, will you come join the party? Your brother was dead, says it again. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. 
has to tell him that again. That's why we're, telling, that's why we're having the party. Older brother says, man, listen, I've been faithful to you. I've been loyal to you. I've done everything you've ever asked me to do. Nobody throwing a party for me. Father says, all I have is yours. Parable ends, and you know what's crazy about it? We have no idea if the older brother ever changed his location or not. No idea. Because he looked at it and said, I'm, I'm too good. Kind of like the Pharisees who might be listening to this story. Right? When Jesus told that story, I think, I think two things were happening. I think the sinners and the tax collectors were thinking, you mean to tell me I can go from the pig pen to the father's table? And I think the Pharisees were thinking, you mean to tell me sinners can go from the pig pen to the father's table? It's crazy how a little location change will affect us. Let me, let me show it to you in Ephesians. Because those hearers were probably wondering, where am I? Where's my location? Am I in the pig pen or am I at the table? Or am I outside too mad about it all to go in? And when you read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I want to be clear here. Paul's not going to ask you to do a thing. He hadn't asked you to do a thing yet. Hadn't asked you to do something. He hasn't told you to love your wife. He hasn't told you to love your kids. He hasn't told you to go to church. He hadn't told you to do a thing. He's just telling you who you are. And in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, this is what he's telling you. Your location has changed. Let's check out the location. Chapter 2, verses 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's that word again, dead. We were dead. That's who we are. It's clear there that the word dead means the same thing it meant in Luke 15. And what did it mean in Luke 15? It meant that he was separated. He was outside. He was, he was gone from his father. And here we are, separated, gone from the Father. Matter of fact, if you keep reading in Ephesians chapter 2, which we'll get this to this next week, it says strangers, aliens. That's who we are outside of this. And do you see the location word? I know it's so little. Most of the time we glance right over it. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. There's your location. There's our location. All seven and a half billion people on the planet have either been in this location or are currently in it. Dead in trespasses and sin. Dead, just like the, the, the younger brother who said, you know what? I am going to go live and squander it all and do it the way I want to do it. And what was he? He was dead in his trespasses and sin. That was his location. And you want to know what's controlling all of this? He's going to tell you three things. I'm going to read it all together just to let it sit on you. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. 
I mean, he makes it clear. You weren't just there. You were all there. You were all there. You, you were completely and totally engrossed in trespasses and sin. The first thing he says is we walked according to the ways of this world. When the world, that word is used in the New Testament, it means hostile powers against God and his plan. Jesus said this in John 15 as he looked at his fellows and he's fixing to leave the planet. He says, remember guys, they're going to hate you. The world is going to hate you. But the world hated me first. The world, hostile powers against God and his plan. Every one of us were in the location of trespasses and sin. And in that, we were walking in the ways of the world, hostile to God and his plan. Can you ever imagine thinking, well, I, I really wasn't hostile to God and his plan. That's what the text says. Oh, it gets worse. What's the next thing it says? We walked according to the prince of the power of the air or of the heavens. Now, I can get into a lot of stuff here, but I'm just going to boil it right down for you real nice and simple. You ready? This is Satan. I can show it to you in John 12, John 14, John 16, Corinthians 4, 4, 1 John. We clearly know that the power of this age, the ruler of this age is Satan. And we were so engrossed in our sins and trespasses, we weren't just following the ways of the world, hostile to God. We were following the world's leader. We were following the leader, Satan himself. That's being in there, isn't it? I know some of y'all are like, no, 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 not me. Yes, you. Third one, you sit back and say, well, that's all the world's fault. That's all Satan's fault. If I had my druthers, I would have followed God. No, that's not what the third thing says. What was the next thing you were following? Your flesh and your natural inclinations. you just like the younger son. Let me go do whatever it is I want to do. If I want it, I'm going to go get it. If I desire it, I'll have it. I'm going to follow myself. I followed the world. I followed Satan. And I followed myself. That's who we are. That was our location. And not only that, but if our location was that, it gets even worse. Look at what it says on the tail end of verse 3. And we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. If your location affects who you are, guess who you are according to Ephesians 2 verse 3? Children of wrath. That's why you showed up this morning, isn't it? To be told you were children of wrath. I know you hear the word wrath and there's probably all kinds of things that come to mind. And to be honest with you, I wish I could spend a lot of time here because I think we believe wrath is the idea that I... That, that God just kind of loses it and flips out and throws a temper tantrum like a two-year-old. But let me be clear. God's wrath is not capricious. It's not unpredictable. His wrath is not, um, it's not unbecoming. It is just. Matter of fact, I would even say this, that God's wrath in and of itself is a destination and a location. And that location is what? Separated from God forever. It's clear. That's who we are. We are children of wrath. 
So we are just like that younger son sitting in a pig pen, wallowing in it, following the ways of this world, led by the the evil powers that lay it all out, succumbing and indulging our flesh. And we're children of wrath. God's got to punish that. Then verse 4, our location changes. Location changes. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. Do you see the location change? He says, we are made alive with Christ. We are now no longer separated from God. We now have access to him by being with Jesus. We are with him We are being made alive by him. And so you go back up there and it says this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, even though we are lying, cheating, stealing, going after the world, following Satan and indulging ourselves, earning wrath and separation, God says, I still love you. I still love you. So John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And check this out. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated that love toward us that while we were still sinning and trespassing and following this world and Satan and our own desires, Christ died for us. Our location changed not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Matter of fact, he goes on and he says this, you are saved by grace. Jesus Christ coming and dying on a cross and three days later coming back to life is a free gift. In the same way when that son was seen from afar off and that father flung his arms around him and said, get him a robe and a ring and some sandals and kill the fatted calf. Did that son do anything to deserve it? No. No. Have we done anything to deserve this? No. Watch this. If you think your location changed by just being with Jesus, oh, it gets better than that. Watch this. Verse 6. Together with Christ Jesus, there's our location again. He also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Oh, boy. You know I got to talk about this, don't you? He did what? Now, I know you're sitting back saying, Russell, this don't make sense. I'm with you about the alive in Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection. Yay. But now you're telling me I'm seated in the heavens. You're sitting back. I'm in a red, old, nasty chair on 300 West Main in an old Piggly Wiggly. You're like, this ain't the heavens, right? (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. This this is where it gets good. Are you ready? You got your big boy pants on? Like, I I need you to put the seatbelt on. This is our problem is this. We see this only physically, and we forget there is another world out there. There's another world out there that we cannot see. And somehow, I wish I could give you all the theology because I can't. My brain doesn't comprehend it. I don't think anybody's does. But, man, it says we are seated in the heavens. Why are we seated in the heavens? Look at what he says next. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
we are seated in the heavens to declare to the world his goodness and his kindness and his grace. Let me be, let me, let me, let me be really clear. When Tyler comes back out here in a moment, a moment and he plays and you start singing and you sing in spirit and truth, you are declaring God's grace and love for the ages. When you come up here and take this bread and juice rightfully in a God-honoring way, you are declaring his grace and mercy through the ages. When you get in a small group and you love each other well through good and the bad, you are displaying his grace through the ages. When we love our neighbors where we live, work, and play, we are displaying his grace for the ages. That is not the end of it. Watch this. I'm getting ahead of myself. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at what else we're displaying it to. Verse 10. It's not on the board. Just listen. God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers, authorities in the heavens. You don't just display God's grace to people. We're displaying God's grace to things we don't even see. What? I can't. You talk about location change. Man, isn't that an amazing location change? I, that's what we're doing. One more, seated in the heavens. I think it's also future. I think it's also future. Revelation 19. Now, in Revelation, it's, a, it's, it's, it's all about how God wins in the end. And in Revelation 19, God is one. Just listen to these words about how we'll be seated in the heavenlies. Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, has begun to reign. He's one. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has been prepared for herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. And the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. So it says that, that Christ is going to be married to the bride. And does anybody know who the bride is? The church. People who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ all over the globe. And now watch this. Then he said to me, write this down. Those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb are fortunate. <laughs> Does that sound like Luke 15 to you? There's going to be a feast. And he wants it to be clear. You are fortunate to be there. Why? Because you've done nothing to earn it. You've done nothing. Nothing. I can stand up here, but let me be really clear. I've earned nothing, nothing. I got a couple of degrees in the Bible. I've earned nothing, nothing. When I sit at that table, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the younger son and I'm going to cut my steak quiet, hoping no one looks at me because I don't deserve to be there. Do you? I don't deserve to be there. I'm not going to be reminiscing about the good old days. There ain't going to be none of that. I'm just going to be like, thank you, Jesus. Chew real quiet. Fortunate to be there. Fortunate. Not only that, 
Keeps going. Gets even better. Verse 8. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. That's what I just told us. In the same way that younger son had nothing to offer, you have nothing to offer, I have nothing to offer. We are saved by the grace of God. And if you'll notice that word faith, I think that word faith means more than just trust. It means loyalty. It means fealty. It means allegiance. And who was your allegiance to before in verses 1 through 3? The world, Satan, and yourself. Who is your allegiance to now? Jesus Christ. Wow. I accept his grace. Let me ask you this. I I could be way off here. Do you think that younger son, after after being welcomed in, looks at his dad and says, hey, one more time, you think you can? Ah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he stays loyal to his father. And then in verse 10, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. No longer are we sons of disobedience, but that God has a plan for us because where you are affects who you are. And I believe Paul, when he wrote these words, this is what he was wanting you to ask yourself. Where am I? Am I dead in my trespasses and sin following the ways of this world? Or am I in Christ Jesus living out the good works he has for me? And that's a question all of us will have to answer. Where are you? Where am I? So here in a minute, man, we're going to come out and we're going to sing. And if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know where you are. You are in Christ because you have put your faith and trust in him. You know what he has done in you. You get to come down here and you're going to take this juice that represents God's blood. And you're going to take this, this, this bread that represents his body. And you are going to give thanks that he has brought you home. Right? And if you're not 100% sure, listen, there's no need to fake it. No need to fake it. Just right where you're at. Instead of coming down here, I just say, hey, cry out to God and say, I want to come home. I want your son, Jesus. I want to be in a new location, saved and delivered from my sin and trespass. That's what you can do. And if you do it, would you just tell me? I'd love to celebrate with you. I'd love to celebrate. I want to come in and do the cha-cha slide with you. <laughs> uh, where are you? Where are you? Let me pray.